Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, this is, uh, as we have seen, the season of Lent. It is the season uh, in which the church prepares to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And uh, the 40 days that make up Lent are intentional. They are an intentional way of connecting it with things in Scripture, like, uh, like God's people wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, or uh, Elijah the prophet's journey into the wilderness for 40 days, or Jesus fasting and temptation in the wilderness. And so this year, we're reading wilderness passages together. Uh, in Scripture, wilderness is not just the place that's out there. The wilderness is not just the place that's out there that hems civilization in. In Scripture, the wilderness is a place of uh, testing and trouble and repentance. It is a place of renewal and new beginnings and grace. And so this morning we're going to read about something that happened out in the wilderness of scene. Let me read from Exodus 16 for us. Uh, you can follow along where it's printed in the order of worship or in a Bible. Or you can just listen as I read from Exodus 16. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Eli and Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we? you grumble against us. And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of my people Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we just sang uh, together that we're turning unfilled to you again. And while that is always true, <laughs> we ask that you would help us to be honest enough, have the courage enough, maybe it's the despair enough to admit that it's true, that we need uh, fed again. 
We need you to come and meet us where we are. We need your grace. We need your sustenance. We need your nourishment. So meet us all, Father. Um, meet us all in this place through this word as we talk about it and, and read about it together. All of us, whether we feel strong in our faith or not, whether we have faith or not, meet us. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, my, uh, my parents live with us here in Chicago now, uh, but before they moved here, they lived just north of, of Lexington, Kentucky. They lived there for about 15 years. They were kind of uh, out in the country on about five acres of bluegrass. And the first time that we ever went to visit them, uh, our oldest daughter, Ellie, was around three or four years old. Uh, none of us had seen the place in person. We were all really excited to go there and to, to poke around. And my mom and dad were waiting in the driveway uh, when we pulled in. And when we parked, Ellie uh, jumped out of the car and she ran out onto the grass. She ran uh, maybe 10 feet out onto the grass and then she stopped and she turned around and she looked at my mom and she asked if it was okay if she kept on running. <laughs> and so my mom said, of course it is. And so Ellie ran maybe another 10 or 15 feet and she stopped again. And uh, she turned back around, kind of tentative, kind of unsure. She looked at my mom and again asked her if it was okay if she could keep on running. And my mom said, of course you can run. And then it happened again, another 10 or 15 feet. Another time, Ellie turns around, really incredulous this time, asked if it was okay to keep on running. And my mom said something like, Ellie, you could run and run and run until you can't run anymore and it'll be fine. And Ellie took off. You, you can take the kid out of the city. But it's really hard to take the city out of the kid. Maybe you know what that's like. Our backyard at the time was about 15 by 15. It was artificial turf. <laughs> it was surrounded by a sidewalk and fences and big multi-unit buildings. It was the only backyard she had ever known. And it made it really hard to conceive of a place where you could just run and run and run and be free like that. And I think something like that is going on with God's people here one month into their journey out of slavery in Egypt. I don't think they had really learned yet what it means to be free. And that's why I think at the first sign of trouble, they are incredulous. And they look back over their shoulders to the only thing, church, the only thing that they had ever known. Would that we had died by the hand of Yahweh in Egypt when we ate bread to the full. I mean, it sounds absurd to us in so many ways that they would look back at all of that misery and they would filter all of the misery out. But church, that is what the wilderness is for. <laughs> That's what the wilderness is for. God is going to use the wilderness to show them who he really is. God is going to use the wilderness to teach them that he means freedom for them. He's going to teach them what freedom means in the wilderness. And that is always how it is in the wilderness for anybody who follows him in faith, including you and me. So God's people, they set out from Elam. They come to the wilderness of Sin on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And in order to make sense of that, and in order to make sense of what's about to happen, it's good to know a little bit about what has come before 
And what has come before is, of course, the most central and formative element in Old Testament history, the Passover and the exodus from slavery in Egypt. We talked about Moses last week. We talked about how God met Moses and gave him a new life, gave him a vocation for the life of the world. His, his vocation was to go to Pharaoh and then lead his people out of slavery. Well, Moses eventually was able to pull that off. And that is true to say, but also misleading without a little clarification. Because what happened was that God did what he promised he would do and Moses played a part in it. And it was an amazing thing, filled with miracle on top of miracle on top of miracle. You can read about it later this afternoon in Exodus 3 through 14. It was this incredible, incredible event. And now a month has passed and they have made their way as a group deeper into the wilderness. Now listen, a month is a long time. It is a long time, especially if you're out in the wilderness trying to eke out some sustenance, especially if the bread that you took with you is definitely starting to run out. You got flocks with you, but if you slaughter those flocks, you've cut off your future before you've even had a chance to take part in it. There's nothing rosy about that picture in the wilderness. It is not easy living out there. Everyone is hungry. The kids are hungry. But on the other hand, a month isn't so long that they would have forgotten, right, all of the incredible things they had just seen and lived through. I mean, if you, if you got married a month ago or if you had a baby a month ago or you got a new job a month ago or you got a really good grade on a paper or a commendation at a work presentation... If you had a first date with someone that you just kind of liked a month ago, you would remember it. <laughs> I mean, even if you made a really nice souffle a month ago, you'd remember it. Now, they don't know much about God, and that's the truth. They have not learned a whole lot of things about God yet. They know he's the creator of everything. Maybe they know some of the stories of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob. Maybe they even know how their people ended up in slavery, how they made it to Egypt in the first place. I mean, these people are kind of in first grade when it comes to knowing facts about Yahweh. But they do know that he delivered them out of the hand of slavery. They do know that he delivered them in the most dramatic and unexpected and miraculous ways. They do know that they have been the beneficiaries of his mighty hand. They have been the objects of his compassion. That's what they know. It was only a month ago. But clearly, they had not really learned what that meant. They had not really learned it in a way that had sunk deep into who they are so that they could rest in it. Okay, so all of this is true. It's really bad. And it was just a month ago. All of that's true when they come to Moses and Aaron to grumble against them. Now, when we use that word grumble, sometimes we mean it in a kind of a light way, like, you know, the grumpy curmudgeon. But that is not what this means. That's not what this word means. It means to uh, murmur and to complain. It means to express resentment. It is the end result of a malaise that has obviously been simmering among the people for a while that's been spreading through those people in the wilderness like a virus. Would that we had died by the hand of Yahweh in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. 
at least, at least if God had killed us back there, we would have died with full stomachs. That's what they say. Now in scripture, and in particular in the Psalms, we are taught to lament. We are taught how to lament. Lament is what we do, you and I, when we're at the end of our rope. Lament is what we do when we're out of resources and when we're powerless or we feel that we are powerless. Lament is us in those positions telling God all about it, asking him what he's going to do about it and when he's going to do it. That's what lament is. Lament is when we tell God, listen, all of these problems are up for you to solve, for you to solve, because I can't do it. That's what lament is. And God isn't just okay with lament. He's the one who told us to do it. He taught us how to do it. It is fueled by faith in the God that we are complaining to. And that is not what's happening here. This is very different. This is murmuring to a third party about what God may or may not be doing. It is fueled by faithlessness. And it is fueled by not a small amount of contempt. And that's what causes, I think, this strange phenomenon of looking back on Egypt like it was some kind of paradise. Like it was some kind of Eden. Like it was the good old days, the halcyon days. And church, here's the thing. <laughs> we do that kind of stuff all the time. We do that all the time. I know I do. Because that's a pretty normal response to being in the wilderness. Whatever that wilderness is, I know some of you feel that you are in one right now, and you are. Some of you have been through one or many in your life. You know, we don't usually get to walk through this life of faith without heading into the wilderness from time to time. Pain over a relationship that is broken or that is in the process of breaking. Fear about one of your kids making decisions that aren't leading them, you know, anywhere good at all. The wilderness of feeling alone. Or maybe it's a, a person at work who has it out for you and it doesn't matter what you do, they want you finished. The wilderness of an addiction, a physical ailment maybe, or a diagnosis that isn't getting better. You know, church, if not now, at some point in our lives, we're going to walk into something like that. We're going to walk into something that feels like a wilderness. And when you're in the wilderness, and when you're hungry, and when you're thirsty, a lot of things that we know better about start looking really good to us. We know they're not going to solve anything, but maybe they'll help us cope, you know? Like at least, at least our stomachs will be full. <laughs> the truth is I can draw a pretty straight line from the children of God wandering around the Sinai to me. It's not hard. And maybe you can draw your own lines in your own life too. And part of you and me growing up in our faith, it's coming to our senses enough to be able to realize that heading back to those things that we know much better about, that have started look, looking good to us, that if we head back to those things, we're heading back to slavery. We are not heading towards freedom. 
part of you and I growing up in our faith and maturing in our faith is, is starting to realize that maybe there's something out there in that wilderness that I need that I'm not going to get anywhere else. And then maybe that's why I'm there. So what does God do? <laughs> what does God do when he hears all of that grumbling? <laughs> Because Moses and Aaron, they're onto it. They're onto it not once, but a bunch of times. You're not really talking about us. We're not really the proper objects of your complaints. You are complaining about God. So, what does God do, church? What does God do when he hears all of that grumbling? Well, if you don't remember anything else about this story, I hope this is the part that you will remember. He tells Moses this Behold, I'm going to rain down bread from heaven on you. That's what God does. He tells his people, I'm going to meet you right where you are, and I'm going to give you food. <laughs> he meets them with his grace six days a week, every morning. There's going to be food for you. There's going to be manna. There will be enough for everybody every single day. That's what God does. He gives his people the good stuff when they complain. That's what he does because that's who he is. And don't forget it. That's who he is. And attached to this, there's this provision. In verse 4, God calls it a, a test to see whether they'll walk in his instruction or not. It is a very simple test on the face of it. It's pretty easy to pass. <laughs> on the sixth day, on Friday, you gather what you need for two days. It won't go bad. It'll be fine overnight. And you'll have enough. You won't ever be hungry again. That's the test, and it seems easy enough, but in a completely unsurprising development, a bunch of people fail at it right away. You can read more about that in the back half of the chapter. But church, it's not like failing it disqualified them from anything. It didn't. I mean, here's what happened if they failed that test. It meant they didn't get any rest on Saturday morning because they went out looking for stuff that wasn't there. And if they hadn't gathered enough the day before, it meant they went hungry that day. But they would survive. And you know what? The next morning, plenty of manna for everybody. That test was not to disqualify them. It wasn't about eliminating them from the team. That test was about learning how to trust in the God that they were getting to know. That test was about figuring out what he is like. Figuring out what that God is really like and then resting in what he is like. Am I going to trust him every day? Are they going to rest in his good pleasure every day? That was the test. <laughs> you know, here's what they saw on day one. Here's what they saw on day one of that whole manna thing. Here's what they saw. Yes, the wilderness is bad, but it is no match for Yahweh. He can make bread show up here if he wants to. That was the test, to learn that he would take care of them, to take him at his word, and to learn over time that he is good. You know where they couldn't have seen that? You know where they couldn't have learned that? Back by the huge cauldrons of meat in Egypt, eating bread till they were stuffed. That kind of trust in God was something that they were only going to be able to learn in the wilderness. 
Aaron calls all the people together. He tells them this plan for the provision of manna. I'm sure the people thought, this is insane. How is this possible? But they see. They'll learn soon enough. He gets everyone together. And in verse 9, he says, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And no sooner does he say it than they look out across the wilderness. And behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in a cloud. He shows up. And then he speaks to them through Moses. At twilight, you're going to eat meat. In the morning, you'll be filled with bread. And then you'll know that I'm Yahweh, your God. So church, take courage in your wilderness. Take courage in it. Take courage in the wilderness that you may find yourself in today or tomorrow or next week or next month or in a few years. Take courage in it. Because listen, there is no doubt that it's bad there. But it is no match for the God that you followed there in faith. None. And there are vital, necessary, and very good things to learn there. Things that people like us don't learn as well or as deeply anywhere else. I mean, first, it's that we have been set free. As, as Paul says to the church in Galatia, for freedom Christ has set you free. Stand firm in that. And don't go back to that yoke of slavery. Don't do it. That's the meaning of the cross and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. It means he has set us free. To follow him through repentance and faith is to be set free forever. And that other good and vital and necessary thing to learn in the wilderness is that he can definitely be trusted. I mean, without fail, for 40 years, without fail, they ate manna in the wilderness for 40 years until they came to the habitable land. And church, as incredible as that was, we we have better food than that. And you don't have to take my word for that. That's what Jesus said. Call it the bread of God who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And when Jesus said that to the people, when they heard that there's this bread that gives life to the whole world, they were like, give it to us all the time. We'll take all that bread you got. And he said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So church, take courage in your wilderness. Stand firm in this freedom that Jesus has won for you. Stay with him in that freedom. Learn that you can trust him. And learn that he is good. Let me pray for us. Father, would you meet us again like you met your children before? (laughs) Like you always meet your children. When we are looking at stuff that looks really good that we know better about when we're looking at things to help us cope, things that we hold this crazy fantasy will make us feel better about whatever wilderness we're in, meet us and give us the good things again. Give us that good bread that we need. Father, do this so that we as a people mature and become stronger in our faith, stronger in our ability to believe you, to trust you, to know that you're good, to say that you're good. And do this so that we can be a people who shine as lights in the world. We pray this in Christ's name.
Amen.